Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Are you dealing with a job that doesn't understand how to work with you because you're autistic? Are you dealing with bullying in grammar school or high school? Are you trying to find friends or form a relationship with someone you really like? Are you trying to find your inner self again and find that youth that you once had? Well, my next guest, Michelle Markham, is an ND coach who's autistic herself who helps you find all who helps you find the answers to all those things. So sit back, relax and grab your favorite beverage and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Michelle Markham. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. So why don't we start off with you telling me a little, me and my audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Michelle Markman. I am a neurodivergent relationship coach and a late diagnosed autistic individual. Um, so what I do is I help people who are neurodivergent develop amazing relationships, strengthen the relationships that they have, and cultivate a sense of community. All right. So when were you late diagnosed? How late? So I was not diagnosed until I was 27. Um, I had a little bit of an unusual upbringing. I went to preschool, kindergarten, and first grade. And in first grade, my teacher figured out that there was some kind of a disability. Um, but at the same time, my brother was being pulled out of school for other issues um, unrelated. He's also on the spectrum, um, and he had been diagnosed at the time. So for the unschooling process, he was being pulled out. So we both were going to be unschooled. So had I stayed in school, I may have been diagnosed a little sooner than college. All right. Um, why deal with those on the spectrum when it comes to dating? I'm sorry. Can you ask that one more time? Why deal with the dating aspect of um, autism? What brought so that about? I, yeah. So I handle all aspects of relationships. I help people with dating relationships, work relationships, friendships, um, just really navigating any sort of social situation. Mm -hmm. But I think dating is really important because for those of us who are on the autism spectrum, we tend to be extremely trusting and we tend to have this expectation that other people have good intentions. And I think it's really important to understand that different people have different motivations. And so it's important to know, and in order to keep ourselves safe, that you don't necessarily run into someone that also has good intentions. So I think it's important to educate people on mm -hmm. different kinds of people, on risks and on, you know, safety around dating. And for me, it took me a long time to find my husband. I am married, but it took me, you know, I, I went on 200 dates before I met my husband with 200 different <laughs> people. So, I mean, it can be very challenging to find someone that you really just gel with and you can be yourself. Now, that brings me to an interesting question. Why do you think those of us on the spectrum have problems keeping friends and relationships in general? So I think a big part of that is 
that we have a different way of relating than your average neurotypical. So neurodivergent people tend to relate by sharing common experiences, whereas a neurotypical person will just want to be validated. You know, they'll say, I had the worst day, my dog died, I'm so upset. You know, a neurodivergent people would say, oh my gosh, my dog died last year and I'm super upset about that. But a neurotypical person wants to hear, I'm so sorry, is there anything I can do to support you? So I think there's a different kind of a communication. And when we're trying to form these relationships with neurotypicals, if we don't have the knowledge on how to do that, it's not going to either form in the first place or last. So I do encourage neurodivergent individuals to form relationships with neurotypicals and neurodivergents because it gives you a nice balance. Now, do you feel that those on the spectrum should stick to dating those on the spectrum? Or do you feel that we should diversify and try to find somebody either on or off the spectrum? I think it's very much a personal choice. So there are a lot of challenges that come with dating someone that's neurotypical. If you're neurodivergent, we mentioned communication, you're going to have a different Mm -hmm. communication style. Um, They may not understand your sensory challenges. They may have different expectations for how much time you should spend in social settings. So you just have to consider if these things are things that you're willing to compromise on or not. I do encourage people to form relationships with neurodivergence, friendships, dating relationships, because you're going to get each other a little bit more easily than you would with a neurotypical. Mm -hmm. But it's totally possible and it's totally a personal choice. All right. Now, how do those of us on the spectrum who are introverted become more sociable? But I know that in general is a problem because when you're neurodivergent like we are, we're not as sociable as neurotypicals are. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that one of the best things you can do is figure out what your special interests are. And if you don't know what your special interests are, because sometimes we can lose that information because we spend so much time people pleasing and going along with what other people want, um, I can help with that. So if you're having trouble figuring out what your special interests are and you need help with that, give me a call. We can go over it. We can figure it out. But when you find those things, like say it's hiking, you can join a hiking group or like um, the Sierra Club has a singles hiking group. So you could join that, go hiking. If you're into anime, you know, go to anime conventions. It's just going to places where your interest is shared with other people, it's easier to talk and converse and form relationships in those Mm -hmm. ways. Now, what are some of the key points you tell your clients about how to keep a friendship or a relationship? I would say in the beginning, you want to think of it as a seed. So you're cultivating this relationship seed. So when you plant a seed, you're gonna put it in the soil a few inches down and you're going to water it every day. Now with a new friendship, you might not be contacting the person every day, it might be once a week, but you're still very much in that beginning stage where you're spending a lot of time connecting with this person. So whether you're texting them or calling them, you just want to make sure that you're staying in contact and you're showing interest in that person. Once you get Mm -hmm. past those first three months, somewhere around the three to six month mark, it can go down to more like contacting them once a month, 
but just maintaining the contact and continuing to reach out and be present for them, listen to them, show interest in what they're interested in, which it's easier if you share common interests. Yeah. So that's why I recommend that. Um, but you really need to just cultivate the relationship. And that can be a challenge for us. Um, as you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, that brings me to a question, though. How Have you had clients come to you who say, I've... I've had a friend for a long time and all of a sudden we just like drifted off and I don't hear from them anymore. And they, and they start to feel hurt. How do you tell them that it's not, it's not them. It's just how things happen in life. Yes. So I call it the revolving door of friendship. And this is something that we as neurodivergence all experience. I would say that all people experience it at some point. Um, Friendships sometimes run their course. And unfortunately for us as neurodivergence, we tend to want to hold on to our friendships indefinitely. Mm -hmm, yeah. But sometimes it's really better to realize that if that person has left your life, it's probably for a good reason. And you will find someone better and someone who has more common interests with you, who cares mm -hmm. more about you that can come in and fill that space. So I don't like to think of it as losing a friend. I like to think of it as sort of trimming away the fat. Yeah, I mean, I know when it comes to my friends and one in particular, I've always told them, listen, that you know who your true friends are because they're the ones who don't try to change you for who you are, who accept you for who you are, though. And it's not about the quality. It's not about the quantity. It's more about the quality. A good Absolutely. friend is one that sticks with you to the end, who doesn't care what what you are, who you are, but they'll be there with you. Yes, and that's absolutely true. And that's why it's so important, you know, in the beginning of your relationships to try and be as authentic as you can so mm -hmm. that you get rid of those people that are going to ghost you in the future right up front. <laughs> now, do you feel that sometimes that the the um, neurotypicals are afraid to become friends with us because they don't understand us? That's not a perspective that I've heard before, but that is interesting. Um, I did hear recently that neurotypicals were more accepting of neurodivergence when they were told that by the person that they were neurodivergent. So it's possible that they just they don't really know what they're dealing with or how to interact with us or, you know, they lack those skills. And I think by having podcasts like this and educating the public on how we relate differently and how we think differently, but we still have the same desires. We still want to connect with people. We still want friendships mm -hmm. and partners and community and we want to be included. Yeah, it's so that is so true. We, I mean, it's like I've always said: once we find someone who's near, who is uh, like us, we cling on to them, and we just don't want to let go of that friend. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit more about inclusive inclusivity. Do you feel that more companies need to be more ASD inclusive? That they need to adapt to those who are on the spectrum that they've hired. Yes, absolutely. So. I think that the hiring process needs to be more inclusive. We need to really move away from showing up and performing an interview. You can have someone that comes into a company and nails the interview and is a terrible employee. So 
what I would like to see is for companies to start selecting employees based on their skills and their capabilities Mm -hmm. much more than on their ability to perform an interview. And I'd also like to see more inclusion Mm -hmm. at at work, you know, at the office. I personally went through a situation at one of my offices where I was having a challenging time connecting with coworkers and my boss pulled me aside and asked me to connect with them better. And at the time, I really didn't know how to do that. So if we're able to educate employers on how to scaffold our relationships and how to support us in the workplace and how to offer more inclusive environments, that would be really helpful. That is so true because, I mean, you don't hear stories of employers saying, oh, you're on the spectrum. Um, How can we help you? I've only come across one person who's had, who was working at a job in California while he was in school and the company was so accepting and so um, making everything right for him, like lowering the lights to getting rid of all neon lights because they bothered him to sound to everything. You don't find Mm -hmm. that in companies today. You don't. And you really should because that can be the difference between you know, an employee giving 100% and an employee giving 50%. And just the comfort level that neurotypicals get to experience just by being in the office, that we need those additional accommodations to also experience a similar comfort level. I feel that's why it's most importantly that we advocate for ourselves to if we now here's the question do you feel we should tell the the employers in the interview that we are autistic or do we need to wait so i think this is a challenging question because it's very dependent upon the company culture mhm and you know without researching that particular company culture I wouldn't be able to advise you on that. I think that it really depends on, you know, what kind of inclusivity policies the company has. Um, Are they sort of a very traditional structured company where, you know, it's a sort of don't ask, don't tell situation, or are they an inclusive company? Like someplace like Google's, you might be able to walk in and say, you know, I have autism, this is what I need. But if we're talking about, you know, your average bank or something like that, I don't know if that would be a good idea. It might be a safer bet to wait to get hired and then disclose your um, disability. Right. Now, I know we talked about this question before, but how do we get high school? What do we do to get high schools and grammar schools more inclusive with their ASD students? What can we do? This is a great question. And I think I have the same question. (laughs) Um, I think it starts with education. So advocating for neurodivergent inclusion, advocating for um, autism inclusion, understanding, you know, the differences that show up 
and educating teachers on how to support autistic and neurodivergent students and administrators. Mm -hmm. Educating the administrators as well. Yeah, I mean, that's very important that I think the school systems need to get more educated. I mean, otherwise, if you look at it, they're very, very ignorant. They don't know anything. And those of us who are on the spectrum wind up falling through the cracks because the teachers don't know how to handle us, because the staff doesn't know how to deal with us. They see a meltdown and they think it's a, a temper tantrum or we're acting out mm -hmm. when it's not. Or overstimulated, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's important that the difference is known. And the only way that we can do that is by sharing our experiences, continuing to advocate for our cause. So this is the first step. Now, why do people think when they see us out in public that we're faking it when we tell them we have autism, but we're at, when they see us, they think we're acting normal? That's an interesting question as well. Um, that's not something that I've personally experienced, but I um, can't speak for other people. So I think that actually it is. I have experienced that once. At a, at a workplace, I think that people see you performing, you know, average typical tasks that other people would perform, and they don't see everything that's behind it. So they don't see the struggle that's internal. And they just think, you know, this person just wants attention. And I think historically, we were socialized not to disclose invisible disabilities because it was shameful and because there were risks of being ostracized or being sent to a mental hospital or whatever else, what other reasons. So I think that there is a generation before us, especially that very much doesn't believe in disclosing invisible disabilities mm -hmm. and wants to keep the veil over them so to speak. All right. Um, here's a question that kid came to me before. How do you, when you have a client that comes to you and says their parents know they're on the spectrum, but refuse to get educated about it, what do you tell that client? I would tell them to do as much research as they can do and where possible to share information that they've learned with their family if it's practical if they're just not willing to learn about it or to support that person then it's up to them if they want to continue that relationship or set boundaries with their family members around you know what sort of interactions they allow what sort of behaviors they allow okay now, have you had clients come to you and talk to you about being bullied? Yes, absolutely. This is a this is a big issue, certainly. I think, yeah. And how do you deal with it? I mean, it's all over. You read it about in the papers and online that people target us because they think we're weak. What do you tell your client about bullying? I mean, it's so prominent in today's field. You read about cyberbullying, you read about impersonal bullying, and then 
that person that gets bullied winds up either going into a severe depression to either killing themselves. How do you talk to them about handling it to the point where you don't hold all this in and you don't go deep diving into depression? Yeah, absolutely. So bullying is a huge problem. And as you know, it starts in childhood. And the thing that a lot of people don't talk about is that bullying does not stop in childhood. We don't just graduate (laughs) high school and then stop being bullied. So it's really important to learn how to advocate for yourself, how to set boundaries with people, how to say, you know, if someone is disrespecting you, you can say, I think we could both benefit from a higher level of respect with one another to have a better communication right now. You know, you can set boundaries with people. You can learn skills in order to stand up for yourself. And one that I'd like all kids to know is when someone's bullying you, and you can even do this with adults sometimes, when someone says something that's, they're being a bully, they do something bullyish, you know, you can say, so what? And they do it again. You say, so what? So what? There's not a lot you can say back to that. Yeah. And then one other technique I can share is shielding. So that's something that we can do as autistic individuals. And that's just an exercise where you breathe in, bring your arms up over your head, exhale and make a shield all the way around yourself. And you would do that, you know, in the privacy of your own home in the morning when you're going to deal with people that you find don't respect you or, you know, challenging people or maybe family members. So there's techniques that you can use to cope with the bullying for sure. Yeah, because I've known a lot of people who are on the spectrum who who dealt with it all their lives. And it's just mm-hmm. something hard to deal with because we become a target. Yes. Now let's get back to dating for a minute. When okay. it comes to dating, what do you where do you feel those of us who are on the spectrum fail? Why do we fail at dating? So I would say a big part of this is knowing what you like personally. So you have to be in touch with what your special interests are, what you love to do before you can really form a relationship with someone else. And you also have to fully accept yourself mm-hmm. and work on starting to love yourself. Because so it sounds cliche, it is really hard to love someone else if you can't love yourself. And you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses and what's going to trigger you in order to step into a new relationship with the best skills and strategies and ability to form that bond and not push the person away. I mean, that's so true. And I've said this to my friend who's in a relationship for six years. I'm like, listen, you gotta before you can even be happy with what you're doing going for now with your relationship, you gotta be happy with yourself first. Otherwise, you're just gonna be walking on the eggshells the rest of your life trying to make him happy. And that's happened. His boyfriend had came to me and said, 
he's he's doing everything I do just to try to make me happy. He's not being mm-hmm. himself. And I don't feel like I'm my own person anymore. What I don't want to break up with him. I'm afraid he's going to hurt himself. I'm like, let me talk to him. And I'll and do not break up with him. I'll talk to him and see what we can arrange. And what I wound up doing was I was like, you guys need to split up. Take some time off from each other. Take mm-hmm. a couple of months off. And then I told my friend, you need to work on yourself. And your biggest problem is, is you're using your boyfriend as your one true happiness. And you can't do that because you're putting everything on him. And that's too much for him to handle. So I, so I said, you got to find something else besides him that makes you happy. And then you that you need to build on to make yourself happy. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't realize that that just by jumping into a relationship isn't enough. You got to be happy with yourself first. And once you get to that stage, then you can move on. It's true. Happiness really does come from within. And that's why I always come back to special interests. You know, these are things that light us up. There are things where we can lose track of time when we're doing them. You know, for me, it's hiking and yoga and dance. And those things make me happy from within. And I think until you can figure out what those are for you, it can be easy to think you can just put a Band-Aid over it by getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to solve your problem. It's true. A lot of people think, oh, I'm lonely. I'll get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That'll be... And that will solve it all. And it doesn't. It's it's nothing more than a bandage on a wound. Exactly. Now, what is a typical day like for you? Typical day. Oh, um, I am a toddler mom, so I'm yeah. pretty busy. <laughs> um, I wake up anytime between like 5.30, Um, I exercise in the morning. I usually ride my bike or I'll do some yoga in the morning. Um, and then I go to work and I work, um, generally about nine to five, nine to six and help clients. And, um, in the evenings, I try to really focus on my family. I do really love watching, um, Netflix series. So sometimes (laughs) I'll watch an episode of a Netflix series in the evening, spend time with my toddler. That's, um, pretty much an average day for us. All right. Now, do you have parents coming to you about their child or do you have a mix of children, come, kids coming to you and their parents or both or one or the other? So I mostly deal with young adults. I do consult for parents as well. Um, anyone can call me. I'm open to answering questions for anyone. I did work as a nanny for almost a decade and a half. So I have experience coaching parents and um, helping kids also, but my, my specialization is really mostly young adults, twenties and thirties. Right now. So, so your clients come to you themselves. They're not referred to by their parents. Typically. Yes. Sometimes I do have parent referred clients. It just depends. Yeah. So most of your clients come to you and they're like, I'm having problems with my dating life or my relationship. Can, can you help me with this? Yes. So we have a full program. We help you identify, um, you know, we help you to accept yourself 
and then also to start to love yourself and then identify what your special interests are, how to play again, how to make things fun. Um, we'll identify your strengths and your weaknesses and help you find tools to scaffold the weaknesses and how to harness your unique strengths to turn those into superpowers. Mm. Um, we help you with your relationships and it's very much tailored to the person. If we're talking about dating relationships or friendships or work relationships, and, um, we just really help you to get back in touch with who you are mm -hmm. Find and your inner accept child. yourself. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah, much. I mean, that is a tough one because I know as we grow, we kind of lose that inner child. We lose that inner fun. Yes. And I know when I was in school, that's why I always tried to, my friends were always younger than me because they kept me they kept that the inner youth still there because mm -hmm. I'm always afraid if I get older, I'm going to lose that inner child and I won't have, I won't enjoy my life as I do now. Yeah. And it's really common for us to have friends who are older or younger. And um, I think you're so right. It's so important to, to know how to play and, and to stay in touch with that. Now, have you had a client come to you and say, I don't know what my special interest is, or I've lost my special interest, and I don't know, or my special interest is useless? Yes, all of the above. So there's a lot of stigma and internalized ableism and beliefs that we have that certain interests are not acceptable. You can't be a 30-year-old and love my little ponies. Okay, love my little ponies. <laughs> You know, I'm 37. That's fine. Like, if you want to be a collector, you know, there's something that you're really interested in. There are no age limits on interests, and there is no interest that's, you know, useless. Maybe it's not going to earn you money, but if it's going to bring you joy, then it has meaning and purpose in your life. And you should absolutely lean into that. Now, if you don't know what your special interests are, there's definitely a way of kind of figuring that out with questioning and discussing things. So it can be everything's figure outable, as Marie Forleo says. So true. Now, do you have any success stories you can share? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked with a woman named Erin who has allowed me to share her story. She had just moved here from out of state and even out of state, she had struggled to form relationships, always kind of felt like an oddball. Um, and so when she moved here, she'd reached out to me and we started the coaching process. And over the time that we worked together, which was just three months, she was able to meet a partner who she's now been dating for almost a year. She has strong friendships and she has a community around her and she's been able to obtain employment and her employer is really supportive. And so I'm just, I'm really grateful that Aaron was able to have that experience and we're still in contact and yeah, it's just, that's, that's what I want for all of my clients. So you keep in touch with your clients. That's very good. I do. Yes. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is michellemarkman.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L. -L. M-A-R-K-M-A-N.com. 
you can contact me there, book a free transformation call. It's a 30 minute call. We'll figure out your strengths and weaknesses. You'll walk away with more information than you had before you got on the call. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Michelle Markman. I'll talk to you later. See you in the next one, everyone. Thank you. You're welcome, Michelle. While the sky burn, getting high off of the fumes, feeling like the bombs outside of flowers. Me and you stay watching through the glass as the moon came. Body, soul, and hands feeling truly like our lives are movies. I swear it's I love the way we see the world Ooh, yeah I just wanna cool Yeah, yeah I love the way we see the world Yeah I just wanna cool I love the way we see the world Right there Staring at the sun We spent our nightmares Falling in love I know you feel this Can't tell us I love the way we see the world Ooh, yeah. I just wanna cool yeah. yeah, I love the way we see the world Yeah, I just wanna cool yeah. I love the way we see the world I swear we saw the dream, no need to be afraid Someday we'll fall asleep and what we call thing Some believe there's no escape, like paint's poster but I just don't agree, I love the way you see the world.